The following podcast is a live recording of a radio show first broadcast by Fresh FM with assistance from New Zealand On Air. Fresh FM is a community access media station based in Te Tauihu, the top of the South Island, New Zealand. If you or your group would like to know more about how you can have a program on our station, please contact us. Visit our website freshfm.net for our contact details. Kiora and welcome to another episode of Climate Matters. And this is the very last episode in the long series we've been running on climate and local government. I'm Lindsay Wood from climate strategy company Resilience Limited and Climate Matters is brought to you by Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access radio station. We'll give you details at the end of the show as to the different ways you can listen to these interviews. But in the meantime, I would like to get on and we're going to have an unusual closing because this week we're going to hear what each of the mayoral candidates would propose if they were gifted a magic climate strategy wand. So they've been invited to tell us what climate strategy they would conjure up and why it's important. We're going to start with Nelson mayoral candidate Matt Laurie. So here's what Matt had to conjure up with his magic wand. So, Lindsay, anyone who's um, followed uh, me on council will not be surprised by this. I think the um, it's not quite the silver bullet, but it's it's definitely the, the thing we can do that will make the most difference. We have to embrace active transport in, in a whole new way. We have the start of an active transport re- revolution, but, you know, there is so much work to be done and there are so many benefits to be gained, and e-bikes are a really big part of it. Like... Active transport isn't just um, a way to get people from A to B. It's also about you know, fighting obesity. It's about people uh, developing greater connections to the communities in which they live. It's about, with, with kids, it's about um, fostering independence and problem-solving skills. It's about fun. It's about our mental health. It's about our climate response as well. And I think um, we are heading in the right direction, but we have got to double down on active transport because I think the sight of a person who's happy and healthy riding a bike, that needs to be an iconic image of Nelson Whakatū. When people see that image, I want them to think Nelson Whakatū because, because, you know, we're getting there. We've got the most walking and cycling to work and school in the country, but we can go so much further because we've got the climate to do it. And we've got the population to do it. And, and people, Nelsonians love being active. They love getting out and about. So, but, but we still have all these, these issues and we've got, you know, problems with our network that, that still put people off. So if we can double down on that, then I think we'll make a really big difference. And it'll make people feel good about um, how they're responding to climate change, giving them an opportunity to do that in a way that directly benefits them in their lives. You know, benefits their pocket, benefits their fitness benefits their their mental health i think it's just just a, a massive opportunity for us um and and i think also it's the way forward because it's a positive thing i think if we keep trying to scare people about uh climate change and the polar ice caps melting which of course is massive but there's there's a thing about human beings they will disengage unless it's something right in front of them like a pandemic that could be um out in the street they they will uh they will put it off. They'll put their response off. There's also, there's a line from the film American Beauty that I love, which is, um, 
worth considering. It goes like this. Never underestimate the power of denial. This is how a lot of human beings operate. We've got to be conscious of that. And so I say, let's get on our bike. Let's get on our, get on our scooters. And um, let's, 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 let's fix the client problem and get healthy at the same time. So if we get that right and we do more to get inner city living happening, including new medium rise builds and people living above our existing shops, we'll really be on the right track. And finally, we have to lead by example. If I'm lucky enough to be elected mayor of Nelson Whakatū, I'll be taking a motor vehicle off the road by declining the mayoral car and instead replacing it with the mayoral e-bike. I think this is a great city to ride a bike. I, I ride a bike all the time. I think I might need an e-bike if I'm the mayor because I don't want to turn up to places hot and sweaty, but that's definitely something I'll be doing. Thanks for that, Matt. And now let's hear what Rowan O'Neill Stevens does when he puts on his conjurer's hat and waves his magic wand. Thanks, Lindsay. Um, aside from the development of a comprehensive community-wide adaptation and mitigation strategy that I've already got the ball rolling on this term of council, I'd wave that wand on the taonga that is the Maitai River and look to create a shared social space to support recreation, transport, and an economic corridor along its length, winding through the heart of our city. And through that, looking at widening the riparian margin to better handle flood events and better protect neighbourhoods from those impacts, but also to sequester carbon, to improve the health of the river itself, and to provide a, a space which we can all be proud of while living up to the principles of te mano o te wai. And I think within that is recognising opportunity and what we already have and how we can use those opportunities to deliver to our climate. And so within that, I picture winding cycleways and walkways, which people can use to get from their homes to work and back again. And along the length, shops and cafes and shared spaces that people can enjoy, whilst also looking out on the beautiful vista that is the Mai Tai River, as well as creating more swimming spaces and actually returning it to what it once was where along its entire length you can swim and so within that opportunity is the potential to also reinvest back into our city and act as a catalyst for further investment from a whole range of sources and seeing quite literally, the downstream impacts of that. We're into our, uh, our oceans. We're not seeing the, the heavy deposits of high-nutrient loads and um, sediment that is doing great harm to our ocean environment. And then going upstream, being surrounded in those upper reserves with permanent native forestry, filled with mountain bike tracks and walking trails so that from quite literally the mountain to the sea, we have something that we can be proud of and that we can enjoy the entire length of and know that in investing in it, 
we have played our p- part of our part in reducing emissions, sequestering carbon, and creating spaces that our children and their children can all enjoy. Thank you so much, Rowan. Now it's Richard Osmiston's turn to become the wizard and magic up his magic climate strategy. Fantastic. Okay, so I think my, my magic wand would be we would all, all 8 billion of us would be just arriving on planet Earth as it was, you know, at the start of the Industrial Revolution, let's say in, I don't know, 1800. Mm-hmm. And we had all the scientific knowledge and experience and revelations that we have today in the 21st century, but we got to start again. So effectively, we all got on a spaceship like some science fiction movie and we arrived on this planet. We probably orbited for a while. We looked at the data about the climate and the animals <laughs> and the biosphere and the psychology of the participants, what it needs to, to look after it, what it's going to harm it. And then we had an opportunity to sit around a huge table and discuss what's the best way of assuring a decent future for all the participants now that we understand that the participants also include the bees and the eels and the fish and the women and the children and the africans and all these things that we've seen as prey are very important as well you know we've got this we're all one now we realize that every plant every bit of moss every molecule of oxygen is just as important as our dominance and so i think with a a, a modern scientific reset we'd run our society in a very different way and then we'd be in a position to appreciate it is actually utopia. This is utopia. Heaven on earth, call it what you like, nirvana. We have everything we need for a fantastic life for every single creature, actually, not just humans, but every creature can have a fabulous life without war and famine and crime and violence and stress and misery. Nothing needs to be exploited. Nothing needs to be subservient to anything else. You know, nature was set up beautifully, and now we're just learning what horrific damage we've done to it and what we continue to do, accelerating so. Mm, mm. But we've got this mindset, which is a wonderful expression, this mindset that we have to use these tokens. Once we move beyond the tokens, we're home free. The problems solve themselves, actually. I mean, I won't expand too much on a resource-based economy, an economy without money. But all you have to do is remove the barrier, the toxicity of money, and then everything solves itself. And just going right back to where I started, that structure, the mechanism of a voluntary society actually assures its own success. When you really burrow down deep into what happens when you have creatures that, and I think it's fair for me to say, if I may be so bold, Lindsay, that you too probably have a relatively positive opinion of human beings as a whole. You know, certainly. Yep, I'll buy into that. <laughs> generally, people are kind and generous and sharing and cooperative, but we're forced to fight. We don't want to fight, but we're forced to fight. Our backs are continuously against the wall. But that's not human nature. That's human resp- humans responding to a, a competitive, a falsely competitive, scarce environment. And in fact, we have massive abundance. We have a, incredible resources. And we could all live a totally sustainable, utopic life. Um, and, yeah. 
The short version is we could be starting tomorrow. There's nothing in our way. We don't need new technology, new governance systems. Everything is in place. All the hard work has been done. We just need to get the money out of the way. And then we can all be living in paradise. We have a win-win option for every occupant of this planet. And currently, we are operating a lose-lose model for every occupant of this planet. It's that distinct. It's Armageddon or Utopia. Many thanks, Richard. Now, let's listen to what Tim King has to propose with his magic wand. Oh, the magic wand. Um, I guess the challenge with any magic wand is, is um, there's so many ways to wave it. Uh, and probably so to, to focus on a single one is going to be very challenging. Well, I think for this region, though, we have so much potential to, um, I guess, be an example. Um, because we have a relatively small population, we have a lot of innovation, a lot of very innovative people. A lot of that's well driven um, by people who have come into the region from other parts of both New Zealand and the world over the last little while. So being able to harness all of that innovation all of that um, information that's come in and put ourselves in a position to um, live up to our um, intergenerational strategy objective of being good ancestors. So that would involve a number of things, our own energy and a range of things. So the creation of hydrogen, the creation of electricity, the creation of alternative um, sources of using the waste from our highly uh, innovative forestry industry. Um, to be able to feed, continue to feed ourselves and produce food for other people. I think there's nothing more worthwhile in coming from a background of food production, producing food in the most energy efficient way possible for both our own community and for others who are unable to produce it is something that we need to continue to um, be able to do. And if I had a magic wand to enable us to do that in an emission uh, positive way, um, I would certainly wave that. Right. Where we live, um, if I could wave the magic wand uh, and suddenly make everyone have a great desire to live in intensification apartments, use public transport and ride a bike, <laughs> that would be useful. Um, and I think also probably wave the magic wand in reverse and see that actually Greenfields development that's well designed, that does incorporate all the latest technology, all the best building construction, builds in public transport and active transport infrastructure isn't all bad either. Um, so if I could wave the magic wand on one thing and one thing only, it would be to enable these conversations to become a lot less polarised, to be able to sit down and have really constructive conversations with people with radically different views. Because I think it is absolutely possible to have quite radical views and still be able to compromise and live in the middle, which is where we have to do if we're going to shift the bulk of people from where they are now to where we need to be as a community. So if there was only one thing I could do, Lindsay, out of with my magic wand, it would be to change that attitude from polarised to constructive to understand that compromise isn't bad, but neither is a radical solution. Thank you very much, Tim. Now it's Ali Cook's turn to conjure up a magic climate strategy and tell us why she thinks it's important. Oh, let me get hold of my witchy wand and think about that for a second. <laughs> um, I, would, I, I would just like to see people put lives in the climate before business. And, I mean, that is the, uh, unfortunately, 
money and business are the things that kind of like make people what's the word um pull the reins back on 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 acceptance of what's happening it's a big thing to accept but this planet uh has done this for millions of years it's gone from heat to ice age and to everything else and we've helped speed it up with our behavior you know so we've got nobody to blame but ourselves but if i could if i could strike the wand and and do something good it would be to make people go take it seriously uh and a few weather events like we've just had will do that um so not that i wish for that but but people have to take it people have to take it seriously it, you know they have to take it seriously if, if that's if that's what I could wish for, it would be that sort of. Okay, well let's let's go to let's go to diesel and vehicles and trucks and things because we haven't really spoken about that. My son's a truck driver, so I have a bit of insight mm. to that. Um, and people think that the the cures are simple. You know, we're going to get electric trucks. Well, that's not simple. We don't have the infrastructure in this country for that, and they don't exist. So we've you know there's lots of people working on great technology, but we're yet to find a, a B train truck that's electric that we can bring here, that we can operate. The other thing is hydrogen trucks they've been looking at. And like my son's, this was my son's thing on a hydrogen truck, right? It's fantastic, but we don't have the infrastructure. And with our roads like they are, and I've just travelled the Lewis Pass, which is completely ruined. It is the most revolting drive now because it's actually so bumpy and the road is so ruined from the earthquake driving the trucks over to the Lewis mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and then the Lewis has been ruined, right? He said, that's like driving a bomb on a bumpy highway. <laughs> and he said, I wouldn't want to be in one because you're highly flammable and it's just... It's our roads aren't built for, built for hydrogen mm. trucks. So there's real huge infrastructure issues with the dream of being totally electric, you know. And mm. then there's the other side of that that worries me with the electric cars is the lithium mining and the cobalt mining, which are creating massive pollution as well. So there's kind of... Um, there's issues on both sides of the coin I see, but one of the bigger issues is that it's money over, you know, like, I mean, why is our coastal property still worth so much when it's going to wash into the sea? <laughs> I, I, you know, like, it's kind of like people aren't recognising what's coming their way. And like I say, it's really down to people recognising it. Um, and I think like I say, those few weather events, they'll start when it starts to affect mm. people and they go, woo, you know, we haven't had a, a metre of rain fall like that before. So, you know, it's kind of accepting it, actually accepting it. And, and you see, accepting it means, you know, less profit, doesn't it? So it's like it's a profit versus, um, versus the climate and Mother Earth's a lot bigger than any profit. Thank you so much, Ali. Now let's give Mike Harvey the magic wand and hear what magic climate policy he would conjure up. Well, Lindsay, interestingly enough, having now listened to your podcast, so I've been blown away by the depth of expertise we've got in the region. You know, to be frank, yeah, as a ratepayer, doing what I do and stuff, you know, I, I haven't really been exposed there. It's been, you know, it's been stunning. And we've got some real progressive thinkers in the area. And I think that the key lies with them in the first instance. I think that um, that what we need to do is 
I'm not into working groups. I can't cope with working groups, sitting around drinking coffee, daydreaming, wondering what you're going to do. <laughs> everybody knows, everybody that knows me knows that I just get things done. Like I just get on and do things. And and like that's been the story of my whole life. So I don't know why I couldn't bear to have a working group, but what I do like to do is I do like to learn and I do like to hear and I do like to know what's available to us. And I'd love to have an environment at the council where we could put together those people in your podcast and we could put their heads together and we could charge them with the responsibility of quickly, and I'm talking about like over a couple of weeks, coming up with a sort of a strategy that we can look at, you know, to start implementing seriously good green technology and show and demonstrate. And they could, they could look around and tell us they probably know. Between them, they would know. You know and, and really the point is that none of us is as clever on our own as all of us together. And so that's the thing is to hear what people have got to say. As far as my own views go on what we could do, I believe we've got an ongoing crisis with stormwater. And as we speak today, Lindsay, you know, Nelson's just been decimated by flooding. Mm. So I have been saying for a long time, and it's not about me, it's just about my children and the future. So I can't even bear the word I. The reality is, though, we have a stormwater crisis. And the biggest part of the crisis in the stormwater is that when that stormwater falls on the streets and washes down the drains, yeah, it floods our houses and it washes away our streets. But you know what it does also is it takes plastic into the ocean. And that plastic is sort of building up around the Galapagos Islands and it's just like there's these massive big plastic farms floating around in the ocean. And it's disgusting. And we're washing our streets. We're literally washing our streets into our oceans. So, you know, fact is us as a human species that we get our things washed away. That's terrible. We need to be better at managing it because we're washing stuff into the ocean, which is impacting the other people that share the planet with us. And so my view is that we need to tidy up the stormwater. That's where it all lies. Because, see, if we tidy up the stormwater and we get to just outside of Richmond somewhere and we build some really big capture tanks and we capture all of that all of that plastic and all of the stuff and all of the stormwater from all the houses and we capture it all, and we filter it, and we feed it back to the town, then we've got a closed circuit. And that's what they're doing in really progressive countries around the world. We've got three national parks on our doorstep. There's not, I don't believe there's a, a capitalist or a, or a lefty granny in, the, in this region that doesn't love our national parks and love the Marlborough Sounds and love the Golden Bay and love the, love the relationship we have with uh, nature. So I, I think, you know, even the wealthiest people in this town are fully immersed in that. That's why they live here. So I think that they would also embrace the idea that we started becoming an eco-village of the future. So the Tasman district set the way to become an eco. And I don't want to do this at the cost of, you know, of business and farming, because I come from a farming background. My uncles own farms, my dad owns farms, mm -hmm. bought up on farms, and my friends are farmers. I believe farmers, as I say on my website. We, it's time to stop blaming farmers on fossil fuel. Yes, fossil fuel contributes to a huge amount in this region, and I appreciate that. But the reality is that it's not just farmers. It's all of us, and all of us need to look at the solution of like stopping washing all that out, feed the water back, and create it for the rest of the New Zealand to admire. Well, thanks so much, Mike. That's great. Well, that brings to a close all of our series on climate and local government. Thank you so much for joining us for all of that series. And I hope you found it a, a fitting series and B, a good way to end it. 
Of course, today is the 3rd of October, if you're listening to the live broadcast. And the 8th of October this weekend is when all of the voting finishes for the local government election. So it'll be most interesting to see what sort of councils we get and elsewhere around the country. And hopefully there'll be very good representation for people who are truly climate savvy. So uh, now, as always, I will still give you details of the different ways you can listen. Uh, you can go on the Resilience Limited webpage, www.resilience, that's R-E-S-I-L-I-E-N-Z, www.resilience.co.nz, and there you'll quickly be able to link to the webpage that has all the connections to the different podcasts, as well as the schedule, as well as the Fresh FM details. Or you can also listen to Fresh FM in different ways. As you likely know, uh, it broadcasts in Blenheim on 88.9, to Eastern Golden Bay on 95.0, to the Nelson CBD on 107.2, and across the Nelson-Tasman region on 104.8. It also streams to the planet on freshfm.net, and podcasts of Climate Matters and other locally produced shows are available through freshfm.net and through the accessmedia.nz app. So on that note, it's time to close this series and hope that we enjoy your company again next week when we're back into the normal, if there is such a thing, normal Climate Matters episodes. And if I'm not mistaken, we'll be basing that around Climate Matters number 79, which came out way back in early July. So thanks again for your company. I hope we enjoy it next week. This is Lindsay Wood signing off and wishing you kia kaha for the climate. The podcast you just listened to was a live recording of a radio show, first broadcast on Fresh FM, the top of the South's community access media station, with support from New Zealand On Air. The funding of Access Media makes these podcasts possible. To find similar programs by other community access media stations, go online to accessmedia.nz.